Hello, welcome to another episode of the Stay at Home Festival Morning Show on the podcast. Producer Trent here. Remember to drop a tip in the tip jar, cosmicshambles.com slash stay at home if you are in a position to do so and that money, uh, the profits from that, we will be sending out to acts and artists and venues and that sort of thing. Uh, basically people who are completely out of work for as long as this drags on and it could be it could be quite a while. So if you can, please do tip. If you'd like to support us uh, at the Cosmic Shambles Network directly, patreon.com slash bookshambles is where you can do that. Uh, for this morning's show, Josie wasn't able to make it for the live show uh, with some, she had some childcare issues to deal with. So it was basically Infinite Monkey Cage, Robin and Professor Brian Cox hosting together and they were joined by Beck Hill, comedian Beck Hill with a performance and also had a chat and got an incredible uh, performance from David McCormont from who you'll no doubt know from all his solo work and McCormont and Butler and whatnot. Uh, so enjoy this episode. Hey, hello. Welcome to the Shambles Stay at Home Festival. Uh, first news, I have to say, uh, I don't think we're going to have Josie on the line today, uh, just because uh, I imagine like many people at home, in terms of trying to keep everything in control with the family, uh, she at the moment is not able to get online. So uh, we, we we have no Josie, but we do have uh, fantastic guests. We have Beck Hill, who some of you might have seen on uh, the Jonathan Ross show at Christmas, and she's going to be doing another of her wonderful kind of theatrical flip chart display. Uh, Plays. Uh, we have David McCollman, who is one of my uh, favourite singers and who I recently saw do an incredible piece of work mixing uh, the story of uh, Heracles, a.k.a. Uh, Hercules, to many of us, with also the work of Duke Ellington. And I'm joined by my other, well, we're really finite monkeys at the moment. Man, the infinite monkey cage has has suddenly the walls are coming in like <laughs> some kind of rubbish crusher on a Death Star. Uh, I'm, I'm joined, joined by, by Professor, Professor Brian, Brian Cox. Cox. Hey, Brian. Yeah, hey, I man. noticed it's it, 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 very good. Thank you. It's sending you back into sort of the, uh, I don't know, 80s radio DJ mode because oh, you yeah. started this broadcast with, hey. Yeah. Which is a very strange thing to do. Uh, anyway, do you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm deliberately just trying to be as upbeat as possible. You know, I've, I've removed the cardigan and it turned out my cardigan was the thing that made me sometimes melancholy and morose. Uh, placed in merchandise T-shirt. I'm, I'm just really great and upbeat, Brian. Anyway, now you love the stars, <laughs> don't you? And uh, I thought you tell us about your favourite star. Now, I want to I wonder that before we do, we do a bit of show and tell, I know you've got something you, you, you want to show and tell, but as a a scientist, as a, you know, as, as a physicist, this situation that's going on at the moment, which I, I think is talking to quite a few people. One of the strange things about it is it is both incredibly odd, but at the same time, sometimes it doesn't almost feel odd enough. So you go, this is the weirdest thing that's kind of happened to us. And yet it also feels strange at times that it doesn't feel weird enough. Now, you being able to step back quite often, you being able to see a kind of a, a bigger and a different picture of, of the world and the universe how has it kind of affected your thinking, if, if at all, with what's going on at the moment? Well, I, mean, I think on a, on a personal level, it's, uh, as with many people, I think it reminds you about the, the, um, the, the great value of the mundane. I mean, there's no 
nothing I would like better now than to go wandering around the shops and to pop over to a few friends' houses, you know, the, the, and, and all those things that we absolutely take for granted. So on a personal level, I think most people, you're just, there's this kind of tremendous yearning for, for normality and very small, simple things. But, but I would say, when you look at it, I try to think, you know, to, to put it in context, as you say, as I suppose many, many other people are doing as well. I think the one thing to remember is that there is a finite duration to it. And um, a friend of mine said uh, to read, you know, um, you'll know because you know every book that's ever been written. You know, Alan Brooks' diaries from the Second mm. World War. Do you, you, yeah. know, you know, Field Marshall. It was Field Marshall, wasn't it? And, and, and a friend of mine said, just read those because what you see there is this beautiful first-hand uh, account of what it means when you don't know what the end is going to be or when it's going to come. And it's, it's to contrast it with this, which is a, by nature, it, it's, as you said, it's strange. It will be tragic for many people. It's a great shock, but it's a finite shock. It is, we, we know that it has a finite duration. And to me, that, that, that um, is comforting in a way, although it's clearly going to be very difficult and tragic for many people for a few months. But it's months. It's not you know, the, the Alan Brook diaries show you this kind of almost this melancholic, but almost optimism in 1939. And when you read the start of those diaries, you realise that it was it was six years mm. in that case. There's a beautiful, beautiful line, line in, in Louis Bunuel's book, I think in, I think it's My Last Breath. Uh, he says, solitude is perfect just as long as you've got someone to talk to it uh, about it afterwards. And I think that thing, you know, solitude's fine, but as long as you know there is a conversation somewhere. And, and this, I mean, the solitude thing, but something that interests me, I've seen a few people, and, and you'll you hopefully be able to tell me about this, who've been looking up at the stars. And last night, the, the sky looked where I was tremendously clear. Um, it may well be psychosomatic, but during this period where there is a, 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 a rapid drop in, in, in pollution, uh, in other things that are in the air, that the, the natural objects are, are very much taking centre stage, will we see a change to the way we can see the night sky within this limited uh, uh, amount of time? Um, it's a good question. I, I don't think so. I, I think... And certainly, if you're out of the city, it, it is. Uh, you may be right in a big city like London. Then, just because that that pollution haze disappears, you always think of those pictures over Los Angeles of that haze over the city. That haze will go. So you you may be right, and even if you're not right, it's worth imagining that's the case if it encourages you to go and look at the cosmos. That's what that's what I feel a lot about life. I may not be right, but I'm going to imagine it's the case for the time being. If it makes things more beautiful, yeah. uh, it seems <laughs> seems like the right thing to do. Um, yeah. Now we're doing a show and tell uh, every morning as well, and I know that you have uh, something that you uh, want to show and tell. Well, I thought you'd like it because it's a book. Uh, I decided to use my uh, to just go back to the beginning and try to um, make sure that my I'll improve my understanding of really quite basic physics. And I got this book. It was recommended to me by Jeff Forshaw, actually, my co-author, and many people will know Jeff, theoretical physicist from Manchester. And it just came out, and it's called Quantum Mechanics and Introduction. So it's a textbook. It's not really an introduction in the truest sense of the word. It's a, an introduction if you're a, at least a postgraduate. I think it's quite a complicated book. But I thought there were, there were two, and it's a brilliant book, but there are two wonderful bits that I thought you'd enjoy. Um, there's one there's one little bit here which uh, you'll really enjoy. It's at the end of chapter two. I don't know if you can see that, but I can read it out. It's a whole section in the book 
and it's titled if you can't see it, skip this unless you are interested in philosophy. Well, the next thing, which I know one of right. the um, heroes, one of the, the, the great sort of teachers of physics um, is Richard Feynman for you and for many other people. And there's this wonderful thing. That it's a re- the reason I like this textbook is it's a tremendously honest textbook. So it doesn't beat about the bush. It, it, it it's got opinion in it. It's, it's written with this tremendous confidence. And, and it's true to say Banks is one of the world experts on quantum mechanics. And there's this great bit at the end of the introduction, section 1.6. I don't know if you, again, it might be like a see it, but no, it is. But it says, before you go any further, you should read the first two chapters of volume three of the Feynman Lectures on Physics. That's it. So it sends you off. It says, you know, he's basically saying, I can't do the introduction better than Simon did. And actually, um, I should just say to everyone who's listening, you can, you can get them there free now. And if you want to do some physics from the, the basic level all the way through to an advanced undergraduate level, the Feynman Lectures are at www.feynmanlectures.caltech.edu. So Lectures, one word, .caltech.edu. Um, you'll find them there. And so they've put the whole series of textbooks online for free. And that's why you can cite it in a book like this. But it's, it's, I think it's a, it's a great challenging book, this. So that's my object. That's a guy. I love it when sometimes you've recommended books to me and uh, you go, oh, no, no, this is very much a beginner's guide. And then I open it and I look yeah. at the number and I so, go, oh, it's your <laughs> beginner's guide. It is not my artsy beginner's guide. But it's a, I would say to anyone out there who is going to, you know, has, has got some spare time. I know a lot of people haven't got that much. I know they're dealing with a lot of other things. But if you do find yourself with the time and you want to kind of learn stuff, when you go back to science, don't worry about not understanding. You know, I think a lot of people leap straight in and then within one chapter, they think i didn't understand that that's really common and you know if you have the time and you can do it take it slowly and take it you know almost sometimes paragraph by paragraph because i find you know, when we did that show recently on monkey cage uh about quantum mechanics with uh, with sean carroll and jim al and katie brand there's you know reading those books which are very approachable for people like me but they are still perpetually pulling the rug from under your presumptions about how the universe works. So you have to just kind of stop and stare and go, whoa, right, okay, so what, what does this mean? And how, you know, and not worry if, you know, at the end of a book, you're not going to go, oh, I understand quantum mechanics, because if you do, you'd have the Nobel Prize by Tuesday. Though I imagine the ceremony is cancelled <laughs> this year, but nevertheless, you know, it's. Uh, um, and I wanted to. Always, I, I tell you what, actually, I've got I've got my show and tell because you mentioned Richard Feynman, and this is. Um, I thought today I, I didn't know you were going to read that bit, but there's a beautiful sort of poem that Feynman did in the mid 1950s, which I think is in his book uh, "What Do You Care What Other People Think," and uh, I just thought this was right for kind of today. I stand at the seashore alone and start to think. There are the rushing waves, mountains of molecules, each stupidly minding its own business, trillions apart, yet forming white surf in unison. Ages on ages, before any eyes could see, year after year, thunderously pounding the shore as now. For whom? For what? On a dead planet with no life to entertain. Never at rest, tortured by energy wasted prodigiously by the sun, poured into space, a might makes the sea roar. Deep in the sea, all molecules repeat the patterns of one another till complex new ones are formed. They make others like themselves and a new dance starts, growing in size and complexity, living things, masses of atoms, DNA, protein, dancing a pattern ever more intricate, 
out of the cradle onto dry land. Here it is standing. Atoms with consciousness, matter with curiosity, stands at the sea, wonders at wondering. I, a universe of atoms, an atom in the universe. And I love that one to give that kind of sense of, of, of our place in the universe. Um, Feynman, Feynman was a, I mean, for those that don't know Feynman, he was, he's one of the great Nobel Prize for the theory of quantum electrodynamics, which is the, 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 the prototype or the first so-called quantum field theory that we started really understanding. So it's tremendous contribution in many fields of physics. Um, but also, this, this, he had this kind of... Um, I don't know, almost irreverent attitude to physics. I mean, he, m many people say he was a very, he's a complex, complicated man, quite a, a, an arrogant man, but also, but an absolute genius. But um, but he played on this uh, working class New York kind of persona, didn't he? He, he? And you see it in his lectures. You can see them on YouTube. He's, he's a fantastic, charismatic lecturer, but it's kind of a no. Uh, no bullshit, right? That's, that's the way that he did his physics. Except that, as you just demonstrated there, he was also a tremendous writer and quite, a, you know, a real poetic writer. You don't see that as much in his lectures. I, I recommend you look at the lectures online, especially if you're a, I think if you're a, a university undergraduate now or you're a, you're an A-level student and, and, you know, this tragic occurrence never happened before i think in history where you can't do your exams mm. well, i think you, you i think you have the option to take them at a later date don't you um but uh but if you if you think well i'd like a deeper insight into physics that the Feynman lectures particularly the first volume are tremendously accessible for anyone i'd, I'd say perhaps even beyond GCSE standards, you can really pick them up, certainly if you're an A-level student, and, and read them. But you see, you see these two sides of the man. You see this, this absolute no-nonsense approach to physics. And the Feynman lectures, famously, what he did was he sat down and rebuilt his own understanding of physics from the ground up. So he, didn't, he, he took nothing for granted. And you, so you see the, a genius, one of the greatest physicists of all time, essentially, going right back to the foundations of his, of his art and, and, and making sure he understood those foundations and building his understanding on new foundations that he discovered himself. I love that that, that bit, bit where you're saying about the way he used his kind of New York background. Uh, there's one of his lectures where he says something and, and the students start to clap and he goes, don't clap at that. I got better than that. And it's like, you know, he's, he's kind of a cat skills comedian. Um, I've got loads of questions for you that people have sent in. So, by the way, some of the questions, uh, if we don't ask them today, we're going to ask them on Sunday when we, we're on with Brian Green. Um, I'll also quickly during this break say, uh, in case you've recently joined us, uh, Beck Hill uh, is going to be joining us shortly, as is David McCormick. And also at the bottom uh, of uh, some, somewhere around this page that you're looking at now and on the Cosmic Shambles page, we have a kind of tip jar for the show. And uh, we're basically trying to make money for any of the people who've been uh, hit really hard by the fact that they have had all their work uh, cancelled, a lot of the people in the kind of performing arts and other places, and also some of the very small venues that will uh, possibly collapse and not be able to survive uh, because they have nothing on. So any of the money that we raise, we're going to divide and uh, to, to give to those those people. And if we raise enough, we will then distribute it even further, I hope. Um, so thank you very much if you can help at all, but also enjoy continuing to watch for free. Um, so the first one is Matt Watson would like to know. There's quite a few people have asked this, Brian. Um, he wants to know, do you have any thoughts on the pandemic in relation to the idea that perhaps this is nature's way of trying to find some balance again? And I know that a few people have kind of talked about, you know, the, the Gaia theory and James Lovelock and kind of brought that in as an interpretation of what's going on. 
Well, um, no, I think not. No, it, I mean, this is part of the battle that's been uh, that, that characterizes life. Like life is a uh, all living organisms compete, and uh, viruses. There's a whole. I mean, the literature on even <laughs> deciding to we've done it a monkey cage, haven't we? Are they alive or not? You could. Viruses are tremendously basic organisms that require another organism to multiply but this is a a the process of living this is the way that that life has always been what's interesting i think there's a there's a monkey cage i, I must find it because i want to tweet it but it was do you remember it, it was about the immune system mm. and it was way back oh well a couple of years ago now and we must find it and tweet it because it's fascinating that this constant battle always between our not well understood immune system. The most remarkable thing, if you think about the, the, the assaults of this virus on our bodies, it is a completely alien organism to us, right? It came from, came from bats, didn't it? it? Came from another species. And this is where these, these new pandemic threats originate. They, they're, they're, they originate in a, in a species, they jump species. And yet, um, the, the figures are that across the board, I think something like 99% of people deal with it. So we have this system, and this is what the, the monkey cage was about, um, which, which can identify a threat that's never been seen before in human history and can deal with it on average in, in essentially construct the defenses and get rid of it in a few days or at most a couple of weeks. It is a remarkable thing. We can't do that. If you think about the, the, the vaccine development, we're, we're talking about, many people say, a 12-month period, but although you know, we're throwing huge resources at it now, as we should. Um, but who knows, let's say 12-month period to go to a vaccine. That Our bodies, each of our bodies, when we get infected by this virus, or if we get infected, in general manages that within a few days. So it's a remarkable thing. But someone pointed me to that monkey cage episode, which we will look up. At the end, I think one of the, the scientists, um, the, the professor from Manchester, whose name is now escaped. Is it, was it Dan Davis? Dan, Dan, Dan Davis. Davis. Brilliant book. Mm. What's the book called? Robin? Oh, man, I can't remember. I've got it. But Dan's written two books and it's yeah. his first book. And it has an incredible story. It starts off talking about plastic surgery for uh, and, and about the and, and skin and then gets into the uh, it, it's really great. So I highly recommend Dan Davis's work and it, The Beautiful Cure. The, the Beautiful Cure. That's it. So he said, but at the end of it, apparently, he says, the last thing he says, obviously, is it's the bats that'll get us. That's what he says. And it's very interesting. The bats will get us. Um, and what, what, what I think if there is to be a silver lightning somewhere down the road and, and for, for society as a whole, although it must emphasize again, there will, it's going to be tragic for many individuals. But if, if you look back in a few years' time, silver lining. It's going to be that it will be the science that ultimately saves us, right? What we, we, there are many kind of economically and as a society and individual tragedies, but ultimately the, what we'll deal with this will be the vaccine, the treatments first, hopefully, and then a vaccine. And I think what we should see is that if you list the threats that we've covered so often over these last 10 years on Monkey Cage, big threats that people kind of society itself can almost laugh at. It's not going to happen. We've always talked about asteroid threats, climate, climate change, and pandemic disease. But all, all, time and again, these threats come up. Asteroid, 
climate pandemic. Here's a pandemic. So this pandemic is going to is going to run through over the next 12 to 18 months, damage us hugely economically and also as a society and as individuals. Many people will not make it through. Many people will. I hope what will happen is we will see that investment in knowledge, investment in R&D, investment in medicine, investment in health services, uh, investment in asteroid defense, investment in climate mitigation and so on. All these things, people have been saying these things loud and clear for years. And as a society, I think we've tended not to listen. And so what I hope the silver lining might be is that we do pay attention to these threats that we know of. Right? We, we saw these things coming. If I, 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 you know, we've made so many programs ourselves. We've talked to so many people about the threat of pandemic disease. And it's not really been taken seriously because the last one was in 1918. Mm -hmm. Although we did deal with some SARS and MERS and so on, the last one that really hit people, particularly in the West, um, was 1918. So we'd forgotten. So, so I think hopefully we'll see that the investment in our capability is now essential on all three of these big threats. Thank you. The um, I'll tell you what we're gonna we'll, we'll come back with. Uh, I, I said I've got loads of, uh, of of different questions on many different areas, um, but we'll, we will now uh, hand over to Beck Hill. So over uh, to uh, her front room. Of course, we're going into everyone pretty much their uh, their, their their front room or their strange space in the attic, as mine is. And uh, we're going to join uh, Beck. And uh, by the way, just while we're getting oh there we are. There's Beck, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Hi. Beck Hill. Hello. Um, so obviously things are a little bit scary at the moment, but I thought uh, on top of what Brian was just saying, we need to start thinking about all the other things that we've gotten through to get to where we are today. So I thought I should remind everyone of the big thing that happened, you know, not too long ago that we all managed to survive. And uh, fortunately, the wonderful Jay Foreman wrote a song about it. Jay Foreman has his own YouTube channel. And he's part of uh, Mat Men uh, and he does loads of other stuff. So do look him up at Jay Foreman. He wrote this song and uh, I drew the pictures. I'm here on Westminster Bridge and there are dinosaurs. What the fudge man dinosaurs on Westminster Bridge? There's one on top of Big Ben. There's another on top of Big Ben. There's several sitting on the South Bank. And there's one paddling in the Thames. Of all the places I have been and all the scenes that I have seen, I've never seen a scene like this occur. Christopher Clark, BBC News, Westminster. There's a T-Rex standing by the London Eye And they're spinning around really fast And the Diplodocus doesn't seem to know what all the fuss is While they're skating round a bankment on four double-decker buses
Westminster Bridge with all the dinosaurs. Dinosaurs! The police are out, but I don't think they'll do any good. Triceratops has eaten all the nuts. The velociraptors eaten all the nuts. Stand, guys, there's one outside McDonald's. They're eyeing up the children trapped inside. And if one comes after me, I'll be killed immediately. Can you tell my wife that I love her? Christopher Clark, BBC News, Westminster. Christopher Clark, very afraid. Pooing my pants, come to my aid. Here comes one now, I better keep still. I need to sneeze. Always delightful. There we go. Thank you so much. Uh, and Brian is back with us now as well. But I love that one. I, I saw you Burko Fest as well. Uh, in the it's, it's such a, a, a delightful piece. I will. Um, uh, Brian, I'm going to. Beck's going to join us because she might have some questions as well. Um, I will quickly. Uh, we had lots of questions from younger people as well. Uh, this is from Kathy's 14 year old daughter. She wants to know. Are there any planets where bismuth may occur naturally? And if you could just say a little uh, bit about well, bismuth. Well, uh, so it's one of the chemical elements. It, I mean, it does occur naturally. It's 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 made in a in stars, as is everything. Um, it, there's a if I remember, liquid bismuth. I think is the only thing other than water than ice. That if you compress it, then is, is it a solid business? I can't remember. There, there's some similarity to ice. Ice behaves really strangely. And if you put pressure on it, it melts. See, most things, if you put them under pressure, well, the reason ice skates work is because when you pressurize the ice, then, the, the, then you get a film of water. So the thing melts when you press it. And I think there's some statement about bismuth which is similar if i remember way back in some i don't know so yeah um, so yes it does occur naturally obviously on this planet um and across the universe I, i'm trying to work out that's the question it's a great question yeah it's just so, obviously I, it's come up somewhere I, <laughs> in in the lessons yeah. and uh We've got uh, here's from uh, Mirren, who uh, I, I, I used to know on the comedy circuit. She, she has uh, a couple of questions from her kids. First of all, from from Ruben, who's 13 years old, uh, would like to know how does the explosion of a supernova occur? Does it implode or explode when it destructs? Oh well, it's it's a it's a simple process in one respect. So, what is a supernova? It's um, a, a massive star, so more massive than the sun at the end of their life, um, they run out of nuclear fuel in their core. And if you think what a star is, it's a balancing act. So gravity is trying to squash everything down as it does, pull everything together, which is how the star formed in the first place. And what happens in a star, why does it not continue to collapse? Well, as it collapses, the core gets hotter and hotter until this process called nuclear fusion can happen. So the pressures and the temperatures are high enough for hydrogen, which is the simplest chemical element, to fuse together to make helium, which is the next simplest. And in that process, energy is released. 
And that energy, so you can think of it as creating a temperature, which makes pressure, which holds the star up. So the star is okay. It's sat there until it runs out of hydrogen in its core. And then it will start to collapse again. And it will collapse again until heavier elements can be synthesized. And this is the origin of most of the chemical elements, carbon, oxygen, all the way up to iron. Um, that, so, so most of the things that make you up other than the hydrogen comes from this process. But eventually all fuel will run out. And then you have to ask what will happen to the star. Well, the star collapses in on itself. And then there are several things that can happen depending on how massive the thing is. But for very massive stars, you get a bounce. Um, the, the material in the middle is held up by all sorts of different processes then called the, the quantum mechanical processes. You get stars called white dwarfs and neutron stars and things like that. A neutron star is held up by the, the sort of pressure that, that neutrons don't want to be crushed into the same place. They don't want to go next to each other. So they start moving around very fast and that makes a pressure that holds them up. A, a neutron star will be of order the mass of the sun a bit more and about the diameter, well, a diameter of a city. So you get this thing which is ultra squashed. But in that process, the thing bounces and explodes and tremendous amounts of energy is released. And then the ultimate collapse will to a black hole. But you get a big sort of bounce and explosion in that process, collapse, and that's what we have for explosion. So that's kind of the outline. It's a tremendously active area of physics because it's very, I've just said some things and waved my hands around there, like the thing collapses, there's something that can stop it, it bounces. That's all active research, and that's why we're interested in supernova explosions. Um, but, yeah, that's the basic outline. One more quick question before we go back to uh, Beck. Uh, this is from Enzo, who's 10 years old. Does, does it really rain diamonds on Saturn? Yes, we, we think so. And, again, uh, you think about how you make a diamond. Um, carbon is one of the most common elements in the universe. It's all over the place. And on Earth, you make diamonds by essentially crushing uh, under high temperatures and pressures, and that that can uh, that, that that means a carbon that's often found in a form like graphite or something like that, coal, uh, that's mainly carbon. Um, if you get it in the right conditions, they make diamonds. And we think that those conditions, those it's chemistry essentially, a reconfiguring of the carbon atoms uh, into these beautiful crystals then we think those conditions are present deep down in the atmosphere of Saturn. So, yeah, we think there are many places where diamonds are made in the universe, and that's because carbon is all over the place and the conditions, the temperatures and pressures, are all over the place. And on the Earth, it's deep below the Earth's surface, and in Saturn, it seems to be deep in its atmosphere. Brilliant. We're going to go back now to Beck Hill. Uh, she has uh, two more stories to tell us. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Beck Hill. Hello. Thank you very much, Bill. Uh, that if we work, go and find out more about Beck Hill. If you go to her Twitter account is at Beck Hill Comedian. Uh, and if you go there, you can also find out all the other places you can see her work and uh, also support her during this time where, of course, a, a, a lot of artists have basically um, no work, a lot of the live performers. Uh, and I also keep, keep saying, saying this, keep going to places, places like, like Bandcamp band as, as well. If, you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're, you're after an album or something like that, that's a place where musicians get, you know, a, a, a decent cut every time that their uh, um, albums are sold, etc. I bought a brilliant one by Malcolm Middleton uh, the other day. Brian, we only have time for a couple 
couple more questions before we go over to David. Uh, I'm going to give you, we'll do a load more questions on Sunday, Sunday afternoon, uh, three o'clock. Uh, we we ha have Brian Green and Brian Cox, and uh, I think we may well have uh, someone else as well, but that will all be announced. If you go to the Cosmic Shambles site, you will find out everything that's coming up at the Stay at Home Festival. Um, I'll also tell you this week that, uh, oh, Helen Chersky, of course. Helen Chersky is doing every one of the Science Sundays with us as well. Uh, Joe Brand's on tomorrow, and uh, on Thursday, we have in the morning Sarah Pascoe and um, Natalie Haynes and in the evening we have Chris Hadfield is going to be joining us to uh, talk a little bit about his kind of perspective on this from having been someone who's actually you know been in space on the ISS and on Friday we have Steve Merchant and lots of other guests in each one of those shows so the quick questions are uh, Elspeth would like to know have you ever cut your own hair? <laughs> um, I must have when I was little um, I mean, I like you cut it now, though, on tour, of course, don't I? Because that's one of your talents. Yeah, I mean, look what I've done with my own. That's why I wear my son's Minecraft yeah. green headphones, as you know. Uh, Janet McLeod would like to know uh, if she's worried about, if she does run out of food during this period, what common household uh, products provide the most nutrition at a pinch? And she was saying, for instance, she's got long hair. Is she able to cook her own hair, snip that off? Uh, is there anything you know around the house? I um having um my my son likes watching Bear Grylls. Yes. Uh, I'm hoping that's not that, that's not cavalier advice because I mean one of the problems we're having in this these times is a uh, so rent an expert talking nonsense. Um I, I'm not Bear Grylls, so I don't know about survival when you've run out of um <laughs> things. <laughs> but uh, maybe insects. Uh, we we ate locusts on some page, didn't we? Do you remember? Oh you, well, did. you did didn't. didn't yeah, yeah, even even though I don't normally uh, I did. Yeah. And it's it was uh I love that. What we should tell, or yeah, as you yourself said about experts, Brian is an expert on things at a kind of uh, subatomic level, at a biological and molecular level, such as eating food, etc. Again, always check any of his advice uh, advice afterwards. Bet we have you. Have you got one quick question before we go over to David uh, McCormick as you uh, wiggle your camera around? This this is very, very much, much like an early eighties uh, video uh, for a band such as uh, Propaganda, I would say, or the Mobiles for those of you who remember yeah. back to those. You're the manager, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Beck, do we have? I don't a think you're in the band. Oh no, you're silent, Beck. So we can't hear you. Uh, but it, so you're going even further back from the eighties now. I've seen it. I, I hey. took it off. Welcome to Lillian Gish. Come on, now you can. The talkies have come. That was that was my impression of me. My my mic wasn't even muted. I was just doing an impression. Um, uh, I had a question for my brother, for Brian, which was, and for both of you actually, which was, uh, what do you think the chances are of there being a intelligent life out there and b during our time frame? Mm. So uh, it, it's, you have to define out there. So in the observable universe has around two trillion galaxies in it, and stretches. Um, about 40, some 41, 42 billion light years in every direction. So I'm sure there will be intelligent life in the universe because life is a, is a process. It, it, it emerged on this planet in accord with the laws of nature. I'm sure that happened elsewhere. However, if you say in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, with perhaps two, between two and 400 billion stars, most of them with planets around them, 
Uh, you can make an argument, and many of the biologists we've had a monkey cage have made this argument, that because the path to intelligence on Earth was so tortuous, it took about four billion years on Earth to go from the origin of life to an intelligent civilization, one third of the age of the universe. It may be there are very few places in a typical galaxy where that happens, which, um, so, so I would, if I were to guess, the, the answer is we don't know. But if I were to guess, I would say there will be very few civilizations at present contactable, certainly, by us in our galaxy. And also, I should say that we have no chance, as far as I know, I'm sure, we have no chance of ever contacting a civilization from another galaxy. So I think the chances of us meeting other intelligent living things are very, very low indeed. And the final thing to say is that makes our planet and ourselves and our civilization extremely precious, notwithstanding the fact that we're physically insignificant, because there may be very few other places in a typical galaxy like this, whereas going back to the start of the program, as Richard Feynman said, um, there are atoms that can contemplate atoms. Thank you very much. Thank you very much to uh, Beck. As I said, go and find out about her work. If you go to Twitter, it's at Beck Hill Comedian. Uh, Brian, Brian, I'll see you again on uh, Sunday when we're with uh, Brian Green, and we'll be talking about his wonderful new book, which is is, is really remarkable. And uh, we're now going to go over to David McCormick, who is genuinely one of my, my favourite singers and whose, whose work I absolutely adore. How are you? Hello. I'm uh, confused and hysterical, if I'm honest with you. Do you know what? That's what people. What? That's what people want. I feel that that is that level of empathy is what they required. I can hear myself, moment, and I sound hysterical. I mean, because I don't know what's going on. I mean, I've uh, I've been greeted in a variety of ways right up to the minute. You know, some people who just grab you and give you a kiss when they see you are still doing that. Some people are like backing off. Um, I'm sort of at home, attempting to isolate. But I look out the window. I walked by the park and it's like Oxford Street on a Saturday afternoon, but it was um, the last time I was out. And um, yeah, it's um, confused and hysterical. That's how I am this morning. Yeah, it's what we, we've get, been trying to kind of say on this is that, you know, for the time being, you know, keep apart, but stay apart, Connect. but stay connected. That's the thing is we need to find as many different ways of connecting with each other without physically connecting with each other and, and keeping that distance. It's really there was a lovely piece. I don't know if you saw Michael Stipe, who I adore anyway. He He's put up some lovely pieces. There was uh, um, where he's kind of just saying, together, separate together separate and just right. you know have, have a look for the michael stipe stuff it's uh it's fantastic um david have you got a show and tell i i i sent you a text earlier just in case you had a show and tell but well, don't I have a show and tell actually cool um i went to uh the troy exhibition at the british museum did you do that i've not been there yet and i may yeah. never i suppose now and um you know as you as happens with these exhibitions you you, you leave through the shop and um actually um before i actually get there i've got an extra bit this was from the Scream, uh, from the uh, Monk exhibition. Can you see that? Mm -hmm. It's a little Scream pin. And I had, I, 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 I'm a member of the British Museum, so I took a load of friends to see it. And it's only one ninety nine, so I bought everyone one of these <laughs> as a souvenir of me left. But after the Troy exhibition, I was standing there with my friend, your, your namesake, Robin. And um, I said, um, I really think that one should purchase such a thing. Check, check this out. <laughs> Oh yeah! Isn't that great? <laughs> oh, for these times, you have never looked more appetite for these times. Definitely, <laughs> that is wonderful. 
And this bit here is detachable. Here is detachable. So you can wear it like so that. you can wear it like that. But I, yeah, I, I thought it was a bargain <laughs> for sixteen pounds. <laughs> and, and will you be singing wearing that today or or not? No, that wasn't my plan. Oh, okay. <laughs> I will imagine that. I will place that on your head with my imagination. Um, now, you, in terms of, you, you've put up some great things about the way that you sing as well. There was a lovely, uh, I, I can't remember where it was originally, where you went through the whole of your, uh, the, the song that you did when you, you were uh, McCormick and Butler, where, yes, uh, and you, you went through the whole process of where you can take your voice, which is a remarkable voice in, in terms of, 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 of where it can go during just one verse of a song. Um, I think uh, that I was very fortunate in who said no to me when. And that's always my view. I think that people, um, a lot of the people who I've coached um, have got an adult or somebody really important to them who has said, um, you can't sing. And they've taken it to heart. It's had, a, it's had a profound psychological effect. But I have found that some people who really were, um, you know, under the weight of that, um, and uh, real um, dis um, lack of self-belief have come to me to um, do, do, do singing lessons. And um, there are those moments where you get a bit frustrated and concerned, thinking, oh, my God, you really are beyond help. But actually, if they persevere and you persevere, it's, it, it's, it's remarkable. All they need is convincing. I mean, I don't really believe that nobody can. I just think that sometimes we don't like the sounds of people's voices because some people find me over the top or shrill. You know, um, some people praise me for being expressive and some people hate it. You know, and then there's all the nonsense about where you don't sing, like you, you, you don't sound mad enough, you don't sound black enough, blah, blah, blah. So, um, you know, there are all kinds of things that can be hurled at you. I even had the brother of a really famous um, pop star say to me, don't give up the day job, mate. Whoa. Yeah. That's the most remarkable thing for me to hear because, as you know, I've always admired your work from Thieves onwards, and uh, and I just think that your ability to tell a story in a song and your ability to 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 con you know I was listening a lot to the the second McCormick and Butler uh, album the, with uh, you know and and the the song Falling I think is one of the great you know why it's not been used in more films for that that great big uh, melancholy but romantic moment so yeah, yeah. Any, everyone go go and look at these things what have we got what are you uh, uh going to do for us today david well um i thought that it might be quite nice because of um what mr patrick stewart is doing to um do sonnet number five you know patrick pa pa patrick stewart's doing a sonnet every day and so i thought that i'd, I'd bring one it's only 14 lines will you indulge me is that all right mm. right okay so this is sonnet number five those hours and I, th I think it's quite um, apposite right now as well. So those hours that with gentle work did frame the lovely gaze where every eye doth dwell. You'll play the havoc to the very same and that unfair which fairly doth excel. For never resting time leads summer on to hideous winter and confounds him there. Stap checked with frost, lusty leaves quite gone, beauty o'ersnowed and bareness everywhere. And then, when not summer left, a liquid prisoner pent in walls of glass, beauty's effect with beauty were bereft, nor it, nor no remembrance what it was. But 
flowers distilled, though they with winter meet, lease but their show, their substance still lives sweet. So stay at home. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, David. What, what are you singing around the house, by the way? Do you find yourself... Uh, as well, some... the, the, Sorry. My, first, my first thought this morning, my waking thought this morning, no word of a lie was, um, good morning, lockdown, you all gloomy sight. Good morning, lockdown, thought me sad goodbye last night. I turned the toss until it seemed you had yawned. But now you're here with the dawn. Good morning, a lockdown. Sit down. I thought about that this morning. You know, just Brilliant. insert, insert. Emma, you want to uh, uh, hear the song I prepared for you, or is that too soon? No, it's you great. Talk a bit more. It's absolutely perfect. Okay. We want to get this before because we just we always have a point about three minutes time when this will crash a little. So I reckon we can do it. Okay. Um, right. Well, uh, you mentioned Macau Martin Butler, um, and this is a song I wrote for a friend, my my, my best friend B Bill, in '95. Um, same album as Yes, but Yes is getting played a lot of the radio, for which I thank you. It's being tweeted a lot, but this one is really about needing us to pull together and be strong together. So I thought it would be appropriate. And uh, it was the second single from the McCallum Butler album in 1995. Is that is that loud enough? Can you hear that? Yeah.
Thank you so much, David. Go, go, go and uh, everyone, you know, find out what if you don't know much about it, and you hopefully a lot of you do. But David's work with so many different people as well as his solo stuff. There's so much great stuff uh, out there. We would have been at the Larm Weekend Festival uh, this weekend doing some stuff together. Sadly, obviously, we we are not. Uh, thank you very much to Brian Cox, to Beck Hill, to David. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Cosmicshambles.com slash stay at home to drop a tip in the bucket and patreon.com slash bookshambles if you'd like to support us at Cosmic Shambles who are, we're, we're, just, we're just doing this. We just are because, uh, you know, we produce podcasts and, and live events and uh, not many live events right now. So, you know, we've got to keep busy. See you next time. Oh.